Time Show. Live from Hollywood, California at the Improv Studios tonight, we have our head writer, Matt Mother Effin Walker, and a very special guest, the puppeteer from The Muppets, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and Little Shop of Horrors, also the star of Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, and the upcoming Star Wars Episode 8, Mike Quinn. And now, more cupcake than man, twisted and evil, our host, Stephen Kramer Glickman! <laughs> yeah! Hey! How we all doing? Yeah. Woo. Uh, Mike, uh, it's it's always great when Mike Black does that. Mike Black, I, you're I very you're a very good announcer. Um, you. You're a very talented fella, uh, almost as talented as our guest today. Uh, you're the his, second most talented Mike on the show today. Yes, yeah, stop it! <laughs> Absolutely, you flatter me. Um, uh, Mike Quinn, it is. Uh, I'm, I've been a huge fan of you for a long time. And your action figure, and uh, I'm I'm Thank super you excited. So, much. I feel like so happy. You talk like that now. That's so awesome. Yeah, that, thank you. How how are things going? Where are you at? Uh, uh, what's what's happening in your life right now? Currently, I know you're. Uh, yeah, they they just uh, announced I'm, a couple of days ago that you may be in Rogue One. You may well, not I, be, but I sort of didn't. There was a, there was an, uh, an article that that's that put forward a rather good argument for Nine Nam being in in the movie, but. Um, yeah, I think people might be a bit disappointed, really, because uh, I don't remember doing anything on there. But I thought it was an interesting uh, thing article altogether. But theoretically, the, the numster would be around, I think, being a smuggler and all that stuff back then. But, uh, but uh, I, you know, he'd be a distraction to the story. So I, uh, I hate to bail this could be bubble. This could be a really awkward way of finding out you've been replaced. <laughs> Just he shows up yeah, in the movie you know without what, though, you. That, that will never happen. I have I have people on the inside. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, so yeah, my goodness. So what am I doing now? I'm actually I'm I'm doing this really cool uh, uh, show called uh, the Nighttime Show. Actually, hey. Hey. yeah, it's really it's really exciting. And I have a, a cup of coffee in my hand, and uh, it's all good. So I'm it's good actually. No, seriously, right now. Oh, it's really it's really a nice time because things kind of got a bit busy and mental for a couple of years, which was great. But I was never home. Yeah. So now I'm actually home a little bit more, and it's it's uh, it's just come at just the right time. It's wonderful to to spend a little more time uh, just kind of chilling and catching up with people, doing some of my own work and projects, and and uh, just a little bit less travel and mm-hmm. some more rest and and uh, time for thought and and creativity and all that kind of thing so that's sort of where i'm at it so it's a very nice time right now and much much appreciated well you're such an incredible talent um my my question for you that i'd love to start with is is i know that uh you know before return of the jedi and before dark crystal and um the great muppet caper and and you know of course now into force awakens and everything else uh, i would just love to know how your career started like how did this all start for you that's a very good question. Um, I think some some uh, fairy dust. And uh, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, where did, where did you grow? Like, where did you grow up? It's where did I grow up? Yeah. Um, I I grew up at home. And uh, no, sorry. I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, actually, well, um, I was born in in Chatham in Kent, um, uh, in the uh, east coast of England, south southeast of England. And we moved away from there uh, when I was about two. So I actually grew up in 
in a town called Enfield, where they originally made the Enfield Rifles. I don't know if anyone's heard of, heard of those, but they mm-hmm. were a big thing many years ago. Sure. Um, so uh, I grew it's sort of North London um, area now, <clears throat> and uh, I, I, I grew up there. So, so uh, my sister was uh, uh, in the entertainment business as, as a child uh, performer, oh, and she was wow. two years older than me. She still is two years older than me. <laughs> in t- and, in um, like TV stuff, yeah. or what, what type of stuff was she doing? Uh, she she was doing. She did a little little tiny bit of film work, but mostly um, she did s- uh, some stage acting in uh, the Christmas uh, musicals, um, uh, some some large theaters. Uh, one of them was at the London Palladium, oh, wow. in uh, which was one of the largest ones in in the West End of London. So she she did that, did that kind of thing. She would sing and and uh, she played piano and and. Uh, um, <clears throat> things like that. She even she actually even had a ventriloquist act for a little while. So she had a dummy that when I was a kid I'd sort of secretly play with and bring to life. And <laughs> it was like a, an early early form of an animatronic basically because it had eye blinks and eye turns and you know you could oh, make the yeah. mouth open and close. So oh, or with yeah. mechanisms. So I guess I had a, a little uh, look into animatronics when I was probably about eight years old or six, seven or whatever. Yeah, right. But so, so my sister was around doing a lot of, and she did talent competitions and that kind of thing. And I, I did a few auditions and failed miserably because I was terrible. I, I had a, <laughs> so I had a magic act when I was about, so I don't know, seven or so and seven and eight and, and I, a little glove puppet show that I did in, in a booth. So I sort of got into it that way as a, as a kid. What um, was the first magic trick you learned? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, and puppets are kind of magic anyway. They're another illusion, if you like, so an illusion of life. So I was, so I was like sort a, of into that stuff, but I was quite shy as a kid, you see, so I was quite happy hiding behind the puppets. You know, I, I, I run into a lot of comedians and a lot of actors who started out doing magic because it was like a way of performing <clears throat> an actual like show when you're very, mm-hmm. you know, when you're very young, and especially, you know, your first audience yeah. is usually your family, so... Was your- yeah, yeah. I, d- I really wanted to do card tricks, but my hands were too small, and I couldn't really kind of <laughs> handle them too well. Plus, you know, you have to have a lot of good patter when you're doing some of those those uh, acts. And uh, of course, I wasn't I wasn't very vocal at, in, in those days. So uh, the the magic act I had uh, involved some large illusion uh, props, you know. And I think initially I even did the the act uh, just a, a piano accompaniment, uh, so it was completely <laughs> wow. mute. And then finally I started speaking and and sort of became more vocal as I got a bit older. But uh, you know I, I was sort of on on the, on the on the outside of all that kind of thing. And it wasn't really until Muppet Show came along in in 1976 that I started to really get into puppets big time and figuring out how they were built and and worked and performed. So that sort of that's where my real interest uh, really kind of kind of went through the roof i guess what, were your uh, parents supportive of uh of this newfound interest <clears throat> yeah i mean for the most part they left me alone which was actually quite good but they were they were okay with it i mean i actually even i was the first kid in my school uh, to actually take uh, uh, i don't know what they called it back then sewing class or something so i could stitch up puppets you know i didn't want to oh. make uh, belt buckles and <laughs> wooden whatevers i wanted to make puppets so i i actually took uh, took sewing for two years so i could just build puppets on school time (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so uh you know plus you know there was i was i was the only boy i mean they'd never the the teacher there had never taught a boy before she was like oh i don't know if i can do this it's crazy (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah how times have changed how good were your puppets back then were you able to make something that looked pretty good or did they look pretty yeah they were kind of muppet you know i made monsters and animals and birds and stuff like that out of fleece and and fur and foam Hmm. 
Do you so remember they go, oh, Muppet like, you know, this would be when I was uh, 14, 15, that kind of thing. So I'd already figured out some some basic stuff by then. <clears throat> um, and I hadn't met the main Muppet guys uh, in 1977 when they were uh, appearing in London on a radio show of all things. So I kind of intercepted them on the way in and uh, met them for the first time. <laughs> wow. Um, Stalking pays off. <laughs> I, I guess I was like 13 <laughs> then, I think, something like that. So, um, so yeah, when, uh, when, I, when I found out that they actually made the Muppet show in, in the UK, it was like a 30-minute bus ride from where I lived. I just oh couldn't God. believe that. You know, I always mm-hmm. thought the Muppet Show was made in the in the States, being such a such an American show, but it wasn't. Hmm. And um, so, so I uh, in 1980, I, I was able to get into the studio. Um, I, I, basically, on a regular basis, I would bribe my way past security with uh, chocolates and cigarettes <laughs> and all the things that you cannot do anymore, of course. Um, and I would get in to, to, to watch them. Uh, for, usually they were taping uh, celebrities. Like they had like Diana Ross, Linda Carter, Gene Kelly, uh, you know, all kinds of people like that. Yeah. Um, so, so they got to know me there, and I would bring puppets along that I'd built. And I became a regular, sort of like their main number one uh, visible fan, I guess, that would visit the studio like every other week. I'd actually have, a, have time off school mm-hmm. to what would I, I would call work experience, you know. So I guess I just about got away with that one. <laughs> the school had given up on me at that time anyway. It's like, oh, good, he's not here today. Good, we can get on with teaching everyone things again. So, <laughs> so it, was every, it was a win-win for everyone. But um, so, yeah, Jim Jim was there. Jim Henson was there, and he would put puppets on that I'd built, and they all kind of encouraged me, and they all got to know me, which was really nice. Um, and then they, they finished taping The Muppet Show in the summer of 1980, which was also when I finished school. Wow. So uh, they went uh, across the street to the film studio, the Elstree Film Studios, and uh, they, that's when they started filming their first, um, the, the Great Muppet Caper, which was their second film. Mm-hmm. And so they were actually, uh, they started out on location, and I was ready to, to put in my job application at that time. So I, I made up this envelope with pictures of puppets and a nice letter and found out where they were in the, in the uh, Hertfordshire countryside and got on a series of buses. By the end of the day, I finally arrived on location, and they were f- finishing up the last scene. And it happened to be Jim Henson's 44th birthday. And uh, so I gave him my envelope, and, and he was, oh, thank you very much. And he seemed to thought it was a birthday card. So I uh, thought, oh, well, I'll let him think that, you know, and <laughs> off we all went at the end of the day. But within a week or two, I got a call from uh, the exec producer, Dave Laser. And uh, they said, you know, they wanted to try me out for a week and have me do some some background stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which was just crazy. I mean, I, I had no training, you know, how how <laughs> I was 16. I mean, wow. So Jeez. so but it, it kind of went on from there and they just kept extending my uh, my my uh, contract and and they gave me more and more uh, important things to do. I, I, I ended up assisting Jim with Kermit and Ralph and Frank wow. with Piggy and, and, and Fozzie and. And, that, and doubling up for principal characters in, in, in wide shots and, you know, crowd scenes and stuff like that. So uh, I, I never really auditioned. And I think Jim Henson just had this sort of ability, this knack of, of, of knowing, uh, you know, these, there are uh, there's certain kinds of people that, that he, you know, he, could, he knew would, would, if they didn't know everything, they could learn. You know, they're enthusiastic. They, 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 you know, we would, they could mold us, I guess. We didn't have any sort of bad habits as such. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I was cheap as well, but I'm sure that wasn't <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> but uh, he, he actually was Jim. It was very sweet, Jim. I, I heard many years later that, that Jim was kind of concerned that um, he was keeping me away from my uh, college education 
um, which I didn't know at the time. But uh, that, that wasn't an option for me, as it isn't for a lot of people. You know, I had to get out and work. So yeah. this was the best thing that could have happened to me. God, and uh, Dark Crystal situation. came out of that and Return of the Jedi came out of that. So those first three movies, those first two to three years, uh, laid the groundwork of everything I've ever done ever since. And I'm still utilizing the, the experience that I got out of that those early days. So... Wow. So that's basically how I got into it. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That is phenomenal. Uh, you know, I sure am having a great time. This is a lot of fun. Uh, aren't you having just a great time? Awesome. Man, oh, man. You know, the only thing uh, that, that could really make it better, and I, I got I to tell you, the only thing that can make it better is if I've popped open this bottle of Fireball whiskey right now. Ooh, that would be better. Oh, my God. I love Fireball. Yeah. That's, that's actually the bottle talking right now. Wait, what? That's the bottle. Whoa. Can you hear it? Wait, I'll to, I'm sorry. I hold have to on, hold, hold it up. On. I'm going to hold it Hold up. it to the microphone. I'm going to hold yeah, it right okay. up to the microphone. Oh, my gosh. Uh, wow. Isn't that, is that incredible? You can hear it right there. Oh, y'all getting loose, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to get loose with you. That the fireball knows like 90s hip-hop references. He does. He does. Like, how, yeah. you, uh, how, how you doing inside that bottle? Uh, I'm ready to come on out, show y'all what a real good time is. I wanna, Not I wanna, trying to be sexual, but I am trying to show you what fun looks like. I'm going to take you out of that bottle. I'm going to pour you in my mouth. How's that sound? It sounds real good. Just open up that. <laughs> this is What What was that? Uh, I heard a whisper. Y'all talking behind my back? I'm a partier. Yeah, no, let's party. You and me. This you is, and me, Fireball. I don't know if Fireball this, sounds like he's a good idea. No, Fireball's a great idea. You shut up, Matt. Yeah, Matt. You shut up. I, I don't Fireball, you and me are going to go out to the desert together. How's that sound? But that sounds know, amazing. The last time you did that with Fireball, uh-huh. things went what, bad. What happened? Well, you had to call a clean. Hey, don't listen to him. Just pour me down your throat and let's get oh, loose. Get in my body. Oh, nice. Good looking. Oh, dang. Oh, look man. at that heart. Ooh. How's the inside of my body looking, Fireball? <laughs> boy, oh boy. I feel warm. Do you feel warm? <laughs> I feel warm everywhere. Man, <laughs> are you Fireball sleeping whiskey. in my? Are you oh my god, I'm sorry. I felt yeah, so comfy in here. I oh. was just showing. Oh man, hey, sorry about that. Hey, you see that TV guide laying around? Oh yeah, this one over. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I will turn on the TV and get settled in because oh, I'm gonna a have TV a couple. Inside you? Oh yeah. Oh, oh. You better believe it. <laughs> Notice how I wasn't surprised that a TV guide was inside you, but a TV. That's where I draw the line. No, Buckle up, bitches. Watching Cheers. <laughs> You enjoying that? You like that Ted dancing, don't you? Yeah, he's good. Hey, wait, is it Shelly? Is it the Shelly? Uh, Shelly Long or Shelly Long Alley? or is it Christy Alley? No, Christy Alley. Oh, good. Oh, so Scientology yeah. cheers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The good one. The one that got it right. I'm going to shake up my belly. I'm going to shake up my <laughs> belly. <laughs> All right. Fireball whiskey. It's a party in your belly. All right, let's get back to the show. Bye. When you were starting on the Muppets, was it already a success? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, um, it hit hit a, a big success in the UK um, before um, it did in the States. It actually hit hit big in the first season, uh, seventy six, seventy seven in the UK, and it was about a year later, I think, when it hit big, or six months later when it hit big in the States. Um, they, then they made the Muppet movie, um, seventy seven, seventy eight, or thereabouts. Um, and of course, so by that yeah, time, the Muppets then it was were, huge. Were, Muppet Show was big over here as well in the States. So um, when I came on board, it was 1980. So, you know, they'd just finished five seasons of the Muppet Show. And they were, you know, about to get into their their movies. So, 
Well, me and Steven got to tour the recently the uh, Jim Henson Creature Shop. Yeah. Oh, and, lovely. Yeah. And I freaked out just seeing a box labeled Mrs. Piggy's Skin. Oh, like, it was just, man. That's, that's all. How surreal was it well, working with Are you sure these... it wasn't a bag of pork scratchings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's not it, quite the same thing, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, like, we, we, I think that is probably the most intense day that we've ever shared <laughs> yeah, as right, far as yeah. friendship-wise. Because you walk in and you're walking <laughs> around and everything that you've ever thought of creatively, like, it, this is kind of the basis for everything like it's just, <laughs> right, it's yeah. just you're like oh god how is how are we ever going to be able to be like as great as that? i mean like, it was so intimidating and also mm. so magical yeah. at the same time like how so, do you how do you do yeah. that like how, like how did you do that as far as you know getting to go and work with with someone like frank oz and with uh with jim like that must have been uh incredibly intense yeah it, it was it was uh what sort of one of those things where you, you just can't believe like is this really happening is this really happening i mean it, it's it doesn't get any bigger than that it, it, you know if, if you in your wildest dreams that that you you would, would you even have dared to wish for that stuff yeah. um so you know when you're working of course you, you you learn very quickly you have to be very professional right but mm. you know i was just a sponge i was just soaking everything up every single day i was usually the first to arrive at the studio and the last to leave um, I just didn't didn't want a, a day to end, you know. And uh, it's funny, I'm still I'm still a bit like that now. Funnily <laughs> enough, I, I kind of like to get there uh, nice and early, and and uh, when the day's done, I'm kind of sad, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny how that stuff stays with you. Uh, have, you know, you ever... I, I'm not not cynical. <laughs> I still I still treasure every every body and every moment. And, nice. And uh, it, the you know the passion is still there uh, after all this time. And I learned that from those guys. I mean, J- Jim and Frank just just. You know, they'd been doing this for years already. They were they were they were such great artists, creative artists, and performers, puppeteers, uh, writers. You know, uh, visionaries. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you, it's, it's like getting an apprenticeship under just the the absolute best people. And they were so generous with with the help and knowledge as well. The, the whole team were, you know, all the Muppet guys. Um, and and that ethos is still with Muppets to this day. There's a very generous kind of thing about them where where it's about helping each other and and, get, and getting they they and Jim particularly had a had a way of, of getting the best out of everyone you wanted to do your best for him somehow you know and he appreciated mm-hmm. everybody he was he was not you know he was very approachable he wasn't intimidating in any way he was he was he very much he was kind of like a, a real life version of Kermit in a way to the muppets you know he he was sort of the the captain um mm-hmm. but everyone cared about him you know so, yeah, yeah. Now, you've worked with uh, a lot of huge names in the entertainment business from uh, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Jim Henson, yeah. Frank Oz, of course, but also Stanley Kubrick. Uh, at least according to IMDb, you were on Full Metal Jacket. and Right, that's actually incorrect, although I did work with his daughter, Kathy okay. Kubrick. Well, then so IMDb is wrong, so yeah, never mind. My question doesn't apply. I've, I've <laughs> into, into IMDb, and I keep trying to update the corrections, and I think the last lot of stuff they completely ignored me on. Um, it's a terrible guy, you know, because anyone yeah. can go in there, and they can make an, a, a, an, an entry. 
Oh, we yeah. had to keep yeah. going in there and removing stuff. So I think there might have been a plaster or another guy with the same name uh, mm-hmm. who made a bunch of films oh, around that. Yeah. Time. Oh, okay. Yeah. According uh, to according to my IMDb, I played Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, well, I, I think you did. I think you can take There's that a that's, that's definitely uh, so. Indiana yeah, so Jones and the Country Buffet. Was, yeah, still <laughs> actually making jewelry on uh, the Dark Crystal for the Skeksis. What? So oh, I, wow. I knew, uh, yeah. Oh. Oh my God, that's incredible! So uh, there you go. What um what a like Dark Crystal, such an incredible movie. And at uh, Henson Studios, when me and Mike's were uh, were working and writing over there, they have okay. they have a Skeksis in their lobby. Yes, and uh, that thing was in, insane. What what character did you uh, did you puppeteer? Did you work on a couple different characters on Dark Crystal? <laughs> oh, sorry. I was having some coffee there. Um, yeah. Um, and initially, um, uh, they were they were uh, building characters, of course, uh, while we were shooting the Great Muppet Caper because it, they had a two picture deal back to back with the same crew, with Lou Gray, the same uh, film production film company, and everything. So, so when when I wasn't filming on at Elstree on set on Muppet Caper, then I'd be going over to the the Creature Workshop in Hampstead in London which was just across the street from Jim's house and uh, where they were, they were developing all these dark crystal uh, characters. And I, I was actually assembling podlings and slaves. Uh, there were, I think 50 of each, so a hundred of them oh my and God. every single one had a name. It was amazing. So, uh, so I was doing that uh, as a builder on dark crystal. And then, uh, by a few bizarre twists of fate, uh, they were crazy enough to, to let me, um, take on one of the Skeksis. Wow. So I did the, uh, yeah, total typecasting. You know, he had uh, a hook, a, a patch, ivory's eye, um, studs and leather. You know, it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and so he was called the slave master, and he'd sort of kick the slaves up the butt and tell them to get a move on and that kind of thing. <laughs> huh. um, and it was so funny because Jim Jim would be d- trying to direct us all in the in the crystal chamber, and he'd just he'd come around to try and speak to me, and he just burst out laughing. He said. Yeah, see, you just you just look nothing like this guy, you know, because I was so, so, so the opposite of the character. So funny. I was. I mean, I actually had my seventeenth birthday on on the set of the duck of the Crystal Chamber itself. Oh my uh, god! So that was my second film. Yeah. Wow, so it, I was I was a, a youngster. Yeah. Um. You went. Did you go directly from Dark Crystal to to Star Wars? Uh, Return Pretty of the well. It was the next film that came into the studio, and they were they were already kind of I think gearing up in pre-production uh, by the end of Dark Crystal. And I think we finished Dark Crystal one, and when we finished filming that, whether it was August or September or something like that. Oh uh, and then uh, Jedi began uh, in the studio in January of the, of the next year of eighty two. <clears throat> when we began filming that. So um, beforehand, um, yeah, basically I had a, an interview uh, with Robert Watts, uh, the producer in his office at, at Elstree. And uh, it was just a you know short 15-minute interview, uh, basically just, just talking about what was coming up. And uh, again, I didn't have to audition for that because I think Robert Watts knew, okay, we have all these puppeteers that are trained already to do creatures and animatronics uh, from from Jim Hansen and from the Dark Crystal. So so that's how a lot of us kind of went straight from Crystal to, to mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and um, I mean, like in as the Skeksis, were you puppeteer? How, were you puppeteering that inside of the of? The- yeah, it was sort of a, 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 a puppet creature costume almost. So so you would actually it took two people to to. Uh, to to put him on to me so um 
if I were on my knees, then that would be a, that would be where the Skeksis feet would fall, basically. And I did actually do a few shots where I was I was I think the only puppeteer who did some some Skeksis shots actually on my knees. Otherwise, people were in holes in the ground or they used uh, little people to you know walk around in wide shots and stuff like that. So, but your ha- your hand would be suspended, sort of not quite above your head, but sort of more at a, an angle in front of you. And so you wore this horn, harness that kind of uh, clipped around the, the hips with lots of padding and around the shoulder, and they would strap you in. And then your arm would go into this uh, – fi- they took a cast of my arm, and it went into this sort of uh, fiberglass padded cradle, and they, they would Velcro that in. And then they would put the head uh, – the Skeksis head over your hand and feed all the cables down the, down the neck. Um, so you kind of – like my head would, would sort of be where his – his shoulders and chest are in the costume itself. And we'd look down at a, a little um, six-inch black-and-white monitor so we could see what, what the cameras could see, and or at least what one camera could see anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a cable going down. There they weren't wireless monitors back then. This was the early days of video feeds. For, how uh, has, film. Uh, how um, has technology... And then I would work the other hand with my hand from its elbow. And uh, if, if the other arm needed working, a second puppeteer would reach in from, from underneath and work that. And then we'd have two or three people pulling cable controls underneath, working uh, things like eye turns and blinks and sneers and that kind of thing. So it was essentially a big Muppet in a way, worked in very much that same style, except you were kind of in a partial costume, you know. Wow. Now, how has technology changed what you actually need to do? Because, like, you mentioned there you had small yeah. monitors in there, and now they've got all kinds of computer-controlled motors and things yeah, that they didn't have back essentially, then. essentially, the way a mechanism is built is pretty well the same. Um, they did start halfway through Dark Crystal. They started replacing some of the Gelfling um, uh, mechanisms with radio control instead of uh, mm-hmm. cable. Um, so that was sort of an early early entry into that. But um, that's the biggest difference, really. I mean, uh, we might now use more more carbon fiber instead of fiberglass because it's lighter and, and stronger and that kind of thing. Weight's often an issue. Um, and, yeah, like all, for things like The Force Awakens now, generally everything is, is servo motors and it, it's all fed through a computer out to an output system for a puppeteer. So now... You know, I for, for for nine numbs face, I only need one guy on the, the entire face now instead of two or three. You know, sure. so uh, the computerized the computer stuff mixes the the the, the um, movements together basically in any way that the puppeteer wants them to to be done. You have a, a series of controls that fit your hands very nicely and and work them that way. So so that's that's really uh, the biggest change. And then the other one, sort of on the outside of things, is is now we can use relatively easily we can use computers to remove rods remove uh, puppeteers remove heads mm-hmm. that kind of thing you know so yeah. and that was not really the case back in the day when i started and now sets are nice and cool i mean they used to be so hot you know tv <laughs> lights and especially some of the big film lights yeah. uh, they would just be so hot that oftentimes uh, uh, you'd hear a gigantic explosion above your head and everyone would shout don't look up and <laughs> All these shards of hot glass would come showering down onto everyone's heads, oh <laughs> you know. And that that was sort of a regular thing. Now lighting is so subtle and and uh, cool. You know, they use LEDs and fluorescents and and things like that. And lighting is 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 generally more. I've noticed overall on film and television, it's more soft lighting and reflected lighting. So there's sort of different different approaches now. I guess even film stock is more sensitive when they do use film, uh, but uh, certainly with the dig- digital production. Uh, it's changed a lot in that sense. So I think I think 
filmmakers have more options now with with how they want to make a movie yeah and you don't need as as much quite as much gear as much lighting and and you don't have to have as, as large a crew necessarily you can do some great wonderful things and film and television now has has uh kind of the line is blurred now you know what what is film what is a tv show they're sort of right. almost the same thing except maybe the budgets are different and the, the crews are different sizes but other than that there's not a huge difference anymore between the two which i find really fascinating yeah absolutely no absolutely um i have to i have to jump into into talking with you about yes you do uh, no i i really do because well <laughs> we have to talk about about star wars return of the jedi because i've heard of that yeah <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing is with, uh, and, and I know that uh, I, I'm this way, but but the fans of Star Wars are this way. We're obsessed with all the little details and all the creatures and uh, and and you know all the different yeah. characters that are in the, in the, these films. And uh, as a guy who collects you know Star Wars action figures since I was a kid, like. I've been I've been you know a little obsessed with that for a long time, and I'm I'm a pretty big uh, <laughs> pretty big Star Wars fan. So um, when when you were cast as Naim Nub in in that film, it, were you in the costume? Was that are you in the <clears throat> in the gear for that in that in that film? Right. Uh, yeah, I, I got into it one time for uh, getting into the. Uh, uh, through the, the the entryway and sitting into the seat in the cockpit, but they never used that stuff. Um, the actual costume was was uh, too big for me, really. Essentially, so um, initially, Nine Num was actually just a, a background character. Uh, he was he was in the chorus line of, of generic background <laughs> right. aliens. So so they had two masks, and um, uh, he was performed by an extra essentially. So whenever you see in Return of the Jedi. Uh, him walking around with legs in the background. That was that was before he became Nine Numb. He right. was. They shot those things first, and he was just a, a, an alien, an extra alien, you know, which was great. Right. But um, uh, but the the mask didn't have any articulation or anything, as they most of them didn't back then. Uh, they they had no movement whatsoever. So he just he, he kind of gaped with his mouth open, and that was it. No right. eye blinks or anything. So that's <laughs> that's fine. So then the the um, the, the extra that performed him was was actually a, a bit taller than me as well. So, so but uh, halfway through the movie, George Lucas decided uh, he needed. Oh crap! Chewie's elsewhere. I can't have him be Lando's co-pilot. Who are we going to have for that? So he picked out um, Nine Numb out of the aliens that he liked the look of, mm-hmm. and uh, there were there were about I think it was about two weeks or so, or just over before they were about to shoot the the scenes in the Falcon. So I hadn't been cast and nobody had been cast in that yet at this time. And Phil Tippett, of course, was heading up Creature Shop uh, for all these guys. And so I was I was always hanging around Creature Shop because I had nothing better to do and annoying these people and playing with all the various creatures and puppets and what have you. And, and Phil Tippett mentioned to me, you know, oh, George has just picked this guy out and, and uh, but he's, he's going to have some dialogue and and uh, but he doesn't have any movement, and I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll put a little oxygen mask over his mouth and put some some bladders in his cheeks to make them move, and it could look like he's talking, perhaps. And I thought, hmm, that's not a satisfactory uh, solution <laughs> to me. So I, I, and there were two masks, so I took one of them and and put my hand inside and realized, you know, you could. And I showed him, you could sort of, look, you could work this as a puppet. You can, look, I can open and close the mouth. And, and he saw these uh, light bulbs go on in, in Phil's head there. And he said, well, 
That's really interesting. Do you think you could uh, sort of rough in a, a rig and we could take a look at that and show it to George? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And I had no idea whether I could or not. But anyway, <laughs> so I padded it out with foam in, in the skull and fitted out a little sort of mouth um, uh, fitting fixture inside the head and, and uh, uh, gave him some false shoulders and stuff like that. And we actually did a film test uh, within, uh, I don't know, a few days of that, uh, with uh, which George directed. And they, they had my puppet next to the uh, extra in the other mask. And George basically took us through the paces. I remember him saying, you know, look look left, look right, look up, look down and say something and, and react or whatever. So, And he was satisfied. He said, this is, this is great. And then I was suggesting um, we can perhaps blink, make his eyes blink. And I put my hand behind his ear and said, yeah, hey, he could wiggle his ears. I was like how Stan Laurel used to wiggle his ears in yeah. his, some of his movies and stuff. I thought, hey, that'd be fun. He's got these big giant ears. We could wiggle his ears. And then so George was all over that. He asked the, 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 the tech guys, hey, can you do that? And they said, yeah, I think so. So <laughs> off, off they went with the head to, uh, to ILM in, in California and, uh, and fitted him out. And within two weeks, I think he was back and, and we, were, we were filming the, the scene, which actually George Lucas directed those uh, cockpit scenes because wow. Richard Marquand was directing the Rancor uh, pit scenes on another stage at the same time. They were getting a little bit behind yeah. on their schedule. So, so George actually was, was in the directing seat. For, for those for those scenes so that's kind of how it came about so i ended up somehow giving myself that job um <laughs> but he was actually a muppet essentially i was underneath they had to cut the bottom of the seat out of the falcon and they were very nervous about that because they were 1973 race car seats actually is what they were and they said oh we can't get any more of these i don't know what we're gonna have to do you sure you want to cut the bottom of this out so yeah so and i laid flat on my back and and uh, my hand was inside one of his, one of Nine Numb's hands, and the other one was just a, a dummy hand rigged onto the steering yoke of the Falcon. Oh my God! And we amazing. we did the scene that way. So I, I had another little monitor on my chest, and I, I put in guide dialogue. He the script didn't really have any any real dialogue. It just said Nine Numb chatters and stuff like that, and then Lando would re- reply, you know, with what, what he says in the final movie. And I, I didn't really like that too much, so I actually penciled in what I thought he should be saying. <laughs> in English, and we, we all knew that the the the, the uh, dialogue would be replaced uh, by Ben Burton. Those guys, anyway. So, so I wrote him what I thought his dialogue should be, and I showed it to George. Do you think I could say this? You know, I was seventeen. I didn't know any better. <laughs> and oh he God. looked it over, and he said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I don't see why not." So, uh, and so I got to write my own dialogue for the scene, <laughs> and uh, we ran through it with with uh, Billy D. Williams, and 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 that was it basically. So I, I I got to do pretty well, whatever. I mean, I got. I guess I gave myself the job, and then I got to write my own dialogue and how long each line was, and. And you know, I decided when to nod and when to laugh, and what you know, all the <laughs> his, all his sort of expressions. Uh, I just kind of made stuff up as I went along. We didn't really have any rehearsal, so. Well, now on uh, um, on on Force Awakens and and in uh, Episode Eight, you're are you, is that are you wearing the 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 piece? Is it different? Is it changed the way that the characters? Yeah, done? definitely. Yeah. So so now I'm uh, you know I had I had costume fittings and they took they took molds of my uh, cast life cast on my head and shoulders so they could f- fit a mask to me you know fit a, a helmet and all that kind of thing. Um, so so he's still foam the way the way the other one was although this one is a much softer nicer foam but uh, now he has all the servo you know before he had two two people on uh, cable controls uh, for his face and return of the jedi one it was actually i think tim rose uh, who did uh, 
Akbar and and, and um, Salacious Crumb and some Snoodle stuff and all that. I think nice. you actually did the eye blinks for me on on Nine Numb. And Simon Williamson, who was uh, Max Rebo, he did, I think did the ear wiggles if I remember correctly. <laughs> so it took two other people to help me on that. Um, but with this one, yeah, I'm actually inside the suit. You know, my he's 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 the same height as me. He's uh, uh, the costume was fitted for me. No one else will fit inside that thing. And uh, and I have one puppeteer outside uh, working the face on radio control with with their their gadgets, and we have talkback with earpieces and that kind of thing. And I I basically uh, rehearse the scenes with the head off, and I I tell them my intent uh, as we go through the scene, so they know what I'm thinking, and I I um tell them to watch my face so they can copy what my face is doing, and I try to stay pretty consistent and lock lock in a performance basically. So in very clean sort of beats, like here here I'm. Here I'm concerned. Here I'm uh, uh, feeling good about something. And when I, I might turn my head on this when they say this line, so make sure you, you do a nice clean blink when I turn the head. And we kind of talk through everything as, as much as we have time for actually on set. And then off we go. And we, we, we talk to each other sometimes during the take and certainly in between takes on earpieces and that sort of thing. So it's a very different process now. But I'm still I still have in mind uh, this is the same guy. I still He still has the same beats as the puppet did the same sort of timings the same thought processes it's just instead of my hand now it's my own head you know <laughs> so it's kind of nice that there's a continuity still uh you know whether whether it reads or shows remains to be seen yet we have more movies yet to of course to come out but but um i do want there to be a, a, a real continuity between the two and at some point before we're done, I'm determined to get that chuckle in that he had, that laugh that he had in Return <laughs> of the Jedi, because that's kind of a trademark thing. And yeah. by hook or by crook, I want to get that in somewhere. So we'll see. We'll see. We're not done yet. Yeah. So. Um, in on the uh, on the IMDb, it says, and you have to the IMDb on the IMDb. It says the IMDb. <laughs> that you uh, you also uh, were that you also played or, or helped puppeteer uh, Re Yees. And uh, a couple, yes, there's a couple correct. other characters. Yeah, is that, that, that makes sense? Hand puppet version of Reese, and I uh, and I, I perform that when he's in the archways. Uh, he's the one, the only one that had an actual um, a mouth movement and, and eye blinks. And then there was a costume version that Paul Springer worked. When you see him wider with legs, that was Paul Springer. Right, and so when you so. saw the close up, it was you. It was, yeah, it was yeah. You um, what about? And it also says uh, that you were Cy Snoodles. Is that uh, or that you were you yeah, were uh, one of the puppeteers on? Yeah, that? with with Tim Rose actually. There were two versions of Cy Snoodles. There was the full length version, uh, which was sort of uh, rot- the legs were rotted from below the set, and Tim Rose wore a, a, a thing uh, where he would. Uh, I think her feet were attached to his knees. Um, so when as he moved his legs under the set, her feet would dance, and then he had a, a bar that. <laughs> Uh, 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 that kind of went up to her hips so he could work her hips and wiggle her hips. Uh, he always thought of her as kind of a Tina Turner kind of look. <laughs> so, so he was underneath working that. And then I was above working the uh, shoulders on, on, on wires. Um, so, so it was kind of a, a weird puppet in the wide shots. But then when we went into close-up, there was a different version of her. Uh, so And then Tim Rose was inside doing the, the – it was just sort of – it existed from the waist up only. So he, he sort of put his head inside her body and would would uh, do her gross actual body turns and tilts. And then he had a control inside that worked the base of her snout so he could sort of direct it in different directions. Yeah. And then I had a cable control going out to actually work the singing lips in close-up. Oh, my so God. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah. that's how that worked. So oh, when she was singing, then that was me working the, the cable controls for her, her little lips on the end. Mike, Mike Black. Until uh, we were replaced with computer graphics, of course. Oh, <laughs> God. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, when you saw that, <laughs> when you saw that replacement for the first time, what was, mm-hmm. are you allowed, would you mind telling us how you felt? I don't mind telling you. I was horrified. I mean, <laughs> I was scared for one thing. I thought, oh, goodness, you know, are they going to replace poor old Nine Numb? Am I going to be <laughs> removed forever from, from, history from the film uh, you know uh, uh, entirely is he going to be cg uh, and overacting and moving way too much because he can <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, no I, I mean i i understood uh you know that there was kind of a, an experiment and a, a sort of a growth period for cg and figuring out what worked and what didn't but it was too cartoony for me that the limitations of of the puppets in many ways kept it real and kept it grounded. I mean, when you think of Jabba the Hutt, he really didn't do anything. He could do nothing. I mean, he he even had a hard time turning his head left and right. You know, he was just this big blob of fiberglass and foam. Um, But, you know, in, in, in that reality, it just, he was there. He cast shadows. Uh, People could look at him. You could, you could, I mean, on set, you could smell the rubber even, you know, I mean, you could hear the fiberglass crunching underneath and, it was real. It was real. Limited but real. And that's fine. You know, less less is usually more. And with CG, uh, oh, look, we can make his face turn inside out and we can <laughs> do all these big Tex Avery Warner Brother cartoon takes and things. And it felt a bit like that to me with Snoodles and, and the other singer that they introduced, the, the hairy singer guy. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, the you weird know, little almost testicle man. Oh, it, testicle it felt man. Cheesy. Yeah. It just felt cheesy. And it is fine, but. But, you know, of course, I'm going to go with the puppet any day. And yeah. most people yeah. do sort of tell me that, that they prefer the puppets well, anyway when, when I'm doing shows and that kind of thing. So it's that's definitely cool. It's definitely uh, come back around now. Like the, yeah. you know, everybody right. wants to be able to feel it and touch it and see it. And uh, you could you could you could see that on Force Awakens just watching the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, how it looked yeah. like it was. You know, it was, yeah. it was being made it's, it's so funny when the first stuff footage started coming out and we first saw that shot of BB-8 rolling along the sand and everyone was crying, oh, it's CG, you can tell, it's terrible, it's all CG. And of course it wasn't. And, and even some people were saying when they saw the first shots of Nine Numb in the X-Wing in the trailer, um, oh, you could tell it's fake, it's so fake, it's CG and everything was all in camera, you know. And I was saying, no, it's real, it's real. <coughs> I guess they were so trained to just uh, cry foul and ready to... to uh, <laughs> write it off but yeah it, it it was all real and and that came from jj and kathleen kennedy and and you know i mean wow what a great thing i mean they could have used anyone for for nine num but no he wanted tim rose back for akbar and and me back for for nine num hell yeah wow what a what a great what a wonderful lovely gift oh my god that's unbelievable um couple couple more couple real quick ones yes mike go yeah ahead. no problem yeah i had one question uh neon nub it seems like between Jedi and Force Awakens, it seemed as though he had chin implants. <laughs> Am I crazy? It, it, like he, his chin looked a lot more masculine. Did he get some work done? Did, yeah. yeah did he have work done? That and rather no, it looks like he's got he's put on a lot of weight around his midsection. That's where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I was about to make a quick exit. We're not calling uh, you. We're not saying no, that. Trust us. Much too classy to. That was the second question, which now you're quickly erasing. Um, <laughs> Uh, he the, the thing is he he uh, uh, not too much. I think he's more textured. He's got you know things have sagged a little more. He doesn't <laughs> actually have more wrinkles. He's a lot more weathered. Oh, that um, may be. I it. don't it's know sagging. what he's been doing in the last thirty odd years. Uh, <laughs> that makes but sense. I think he's 
you know, he's been busy and uh, age is catching up with him a little bit. So I think, if anything, he's he's probably just uh, a little more aged. Uh, <laughs> just got more texture. He's, his skin's a little bit darker and he does have more lines and wrinkles. So so it's not uh, – yeah, I mean, it's also maybe the angle that, it, you know, he sits on my head as well so I can see through the eyes. Little subtle things like that may yeah. uh, make certain things more pronounced than others. Um, it's, it's, it's close. It really is close. I know when they were sculpting him, they didn't – have the originals to to copy um they actually weren't allowed i think to to take them and, and use them because i will say that the museum pieces are so fragile now anyway oh yeah so they had know. to kind of go off photos and, and just sort of guess at everything as What's, well but they also wanted to age him as well he's a lot older now so yeah i did like that there will he be looked differences ver- yeah he looked yeah. 30 years older yeah but in cool. in a good way yeah you know? Hopefully so. Yeah, I mean, he was very serious in the Force Awakens. There was, there, there was, you know, he's kind of goofy in, in Jedi, and suddenly he got this serious guy frowning yeah. and squinting, and you know, I think, I think he, he realized the, the gravity of the situation and what was really at stake in the Force Awakens. So, so he, he kind of took that on. But I still think there's the other side of him that's a little more relaxed and happy-go-lucky, and and uh, you know, we might see some of that at some point too, I guess, in the future. How's uh, how's Ryan Johnson to work with? Or re- oh, it's, re- it's Ryan Johnson, great. right? That's the right. Yeah, he's everybody loved him. He was he was so much fun and very very uh, approachable. And, he's directing and very episode friendly. eight. So yeah, he's yeah. lovely. That must have that must have been incredible. What about uh, JJ on uh, on? Amazing. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine having the responsibility of bringing this franchise back? Not only do you have to satisfy the the old school uh, characters and, and fans, but you've also got to introduce the, the franchise to a whole new uh, audience and uh, set up a whole new storyline. Uh, very daunting, and he oh. just handled it with such uh, such character and fun. And he was he was great on set, and and always always had a laugh and and kept his cool um he was very gracious and very very kind it was lovely you know he, he was thanking me for coming and doing this and i'm thinking well, what are you doing of course i'm gonna come and do this you know <laughs> it was lovely he really was he was great i mean he, i think he just did a an amazing amazing job uh which was i think it was kind of an impossible job to be honest and i don't know how he pulled it off i mean he fought hard on that movie to to get extra time to to finish it right and not not you know i think disney wanted to release it have it be a summer release and he was saying no 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 and uh, he fought for that extra time rightly so and it you know it paid off it totally paid off well it's got to be it's also got to be kind of intense to to be in movies like that where you if you really can't tell anybody anything like you really can't talk about them for for years at a time like that yeah it was how does that affect secret i ever had to to, to keep i mean it was something like a year and a half where i couldn't say it to anybody what i was doing and i was just like so excited uh, but i couldn't say say anything it was it was really hard. oh my god <laughs> especially are you married yes i am oh, yes man. thank you though yeah. uh, i appreciate the offer but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well just coming home just coming home to your wife after work and not being able to be like you're not gonna believe what i saw today you know like that's exactly, kind of yeah exactly. that's kind i, I of so wish she could have been on set as well jerry her name is and oh, wow. uh yeah i i would have given anything just to have her be on set because she's a big fan too you know as i'm, I'm a big star wars fan as well i always have been so uh, i just wish that i could have shared that joy that experience with her 
And of course, the sets were so, I mean, security was so tight, you know, mm. even I couldn't get on set. And I was in the film, so it was that, <laughs> that, it was that tight. So, what, what, did, did, um, did, what was the real big difference between the sets? Uh, like, what was the set like between, you know, doing something like Episode Eight or doing uh, Force Awakens and doing uh, Jedi? Like, what were the, what's the difference between what it felt like on those sets? You know, that's the thing. There really, there really hardly wasn't any difference. I mean, the, the the sets they build over in the UK are just so wonderful. They look, you could go right up close with your own eyes and you'll swear that that's rusted metal and it's just some plastic painted and textured in a certain way. The detail, that the, the work they do on those sets and, and props and, and things are just phenomenal in costumes and everything. So there really wasn't any difference. It was like going back 33 years again in, in time, you know, suddenly I was, I was back at, you know, working on Jedi again. It was, it's, it, everything was kind of recognizable. The only real difference I would say was, um, the lighting, you know, the lighting yeah. was, was, was different. The, the way now, they approach that now, that was to me the biggest difference. They everything built a was, complete, was the they built a complete millennium Falcon for this one, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they rebuilt it from scratch. Absolutely. So, oh, there was a complete one in the originals uh, in, in yeah, Jedi as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think. Uh, let's see. They had some half falcons as well. You know, that you just see from from one one side. I think, and that kind of thing. And they're all modular and components, so they can remove the cockpit and and that kind of thing as well, and put them on gimbals. <coughs> um, <laughs> and they, for for the Force Awakens, they put the the Falcon cockpit on a on a mechanical uh, gimbal. Um, which they, it was the same one they used for our, our X-Wings as well, our X-Wing cockpits, wow. uh, when you see inside the windows there when we're flying around. And so whereas before, you know, they just they had stagehands just rocking us around on, on scaffolding poles, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and that kind of thing. So that was another big difference. Now we, they had to put us in this big 20-foot-high mechanical bucking bronco thing with a 20-foot perimeter fence and emergency stop buttons on every corner and oh, wow. and nobody was allowed in there you know it was it was quite a, a a scary thing to be up in this thing one guy is controlling the actual thing manually with a joystick and a, and a knob i think and a little a little sentry box somewhere where you could see everything but they had this high fence all around it you climb this this stairway that there were two cameras two film cameras that were bolted onto the the onto the cockpit um, and you climb in, they, they actually literally strap you in, buckle you in, and uh, then they'll leave. Um, and all I have is talk back at that point. There's, there's, there's nobody allowed within the pants, and you're, you, you know, whatever it is, 20 foot feet up in the air, and that's it. You're done, and, and hold on for dear life, basically. Wow. And that was, uh, that was quite a rush, I can tell you. <laughs> now, I thought I was going to be sick in there, but actually I think I was just so, so – the adrenaline was going so so <laughs> high at that point. It, it wasn't going to happen. So. Oh, yeah. Now with this movement back to practical effects, uh, yeah. I'd love it if you would talk a little bit about one a great movie that had to do with that, Little Shop of Horrors. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's so funny because uh, at that point we were aware that CG was coming, and uh, the, we were at one stage. I think we had sixty puppeteers on that thing as it, as he grew to the largest plant. Wow. Six zero puppeteers. That's a, that's a lot. That's incredible. Um, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, anyway. So, but but we we rehearsed for months and months on this thing, getting like I think one of the main things I did was top top lip. On uh, on the, some of the songs and dialogue, and then uh, Dave Barkley, who was Jabba the Hutt and worked with uh, Yoda on Empire and Jedi, he did the bottom lip, and we were one team. And then there was another team uh, that did also did did lip sync, um, and we tag teamed on different songs on that. 
So, but I remember we, we, we were really hurting ourselves on these, these pulling these giant cables around and all this, this rubber, you know. And we were thinking, oh, when are they gonna, when are they gonna invent CG? Come on, <laughs> why are they torturing us like this? Now, how, um, but how, now, of course, uh, wow! It just, it, it was what Frank Oz did in that movie was just, just a beautiful thing. I, I just love what he did. It, it was amazing. It was such a hard film for everybody as well. Uh, a long movie, a cold, cold winter <laughs> at Pinewood, I recall. Most of that was oh shot God. on the uh, 007 Bond stage at Pinewood. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, now, how do and you... it was so cold that the actors had to chew ice so you wouldn't see their breath in between the takes. Wow, know? really? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, Rick, Rick Moranis and Ellen. And, yeah. Now, uh, how is it you mentioned, so you did the top lip and somebody else did the bottom lip. How do you coordinate that to make it look like somebody's really talking? How much practice does that take? A lot, yeah, and then there's someone else opening and closing the jaw as well. And if we get wow. out of sync, then the lips don't don't talk properly. Yeah. So we we rehearsed literally for months on the songs. That's how we did it. We just we got it set down so that we would learn when to move, when not to move, mm-hmm. how much to move, and when to, we wanted a little asymmetrical sort of smile or whatever and grin and all those things. You, we 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 logged it in basically so that we we just mechanically went through it. Didn't have to think about it. Just no different to when you drive a car or mm-hmm. when you walk or, or whatever or when you eat. You don't really think about, oh, I must open my mouth and I must chew and, you know, or like I mustn't poke my eye out with the fork. You just know how to do it. So we had to get to that stage with the, with the lip sync. Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen. So we rehearsed that thing for months and months and months. Wow. Uh, actually, that's how we did it. <laughs> now, you were also on Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was um, kind of their main hand puppeteer uh, mm-hmm. on that that movie. So, so I mean, I still did uh, uh, guns on rods and for the weasels and, and that kind of thing. And then, uh, let's see, I think I was the uh, cocktail shaker for the um, octopus bartender. <laughs> and uh, we did the penguin trays in the, in the Ink and Paint Club. And when um, Roger Rabbit was jumping up and down on the bed, I'd be underneath pulling his little footprints in the bed, that kind of thing. <laughs> so we did all that stuff, but... But other than that, there were times when um, they needed some some uh, specific uh, kind of hand puppetry stuff, like when the weasel has a, a bar of soap in his mouth and he's blowing bubbles. That's me working him as though I actually wore this gray glove so they could draw over him. But mm-hmm. I'm kind of performing him as though he's a puppet, as though the God, weasel's I a muppet. Never thought of that. So, and I actually have, you know, have the soap in the mouth and everything, and I'm kind of coughing and spluttering. So that's how they, they have to <laughs> animate over my yeah. hand. And the same with when he caught the, the weasel caught the record in the uh, in the bar, the terminal bar, when Judge Doom throws the record across mm-hmm. the room and he, he catches it in his mouth. That was me uh, working him as though he's a hand puppet as well. Jeez, so, man, that's that's amazing! Wow. Uh, yeah, we we actually just had Charles Fleischer who played Roger. Uh, oh man, great, on our great. show, he was just on our show, on our live show. Oh, uh, yeah, very nice. Yeah, he's a very clever guy. Yeah, yeah, very interesting fella. Um, yeah. Uh, before we wrap things up, um, I I just have uh, one last thing because I mean, you know, we could we could talk to you forever. We're huge. I mean, we're huge fans of Aww. everything you've done. So. But uh, on Labyrinth, you worked with uh, with uh, David Bowie. Um, yes, and Bowie was around. We, do you have any stories? Anything you'd like to chat with us about uh, about Mr. Bowie? Oh yeah, let's see. Yeah, the, I mean, he was he was lovely. He was the, the thing about uh, David Bowie is you know he he was by that time I guess he'd, he'd got everything figured out. I mean he was just a, a down to earth guy, and he you know he he knew that these 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 costumes these 
personas weren't real. You know, they were just characters. And underneath that, he was a hardworking, uh, creative and, and businessman. I mean, he was he was just a regular guy smoking cigarettes. Like, hello, hello, lads, how you doing? You know, hanging out <laughs> with the, the crew and all that kind of stuff, having a laugh. And and um, he was he was very gracious. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly was was uh, you know, uh, just did amazing for her first big big film, I oh, guess. Yeah. A, a Connor for generally, as as uh, I used to call her, <laughs> um, and managed to get half the crew calling her that for a while. So after a while, but. But yeah, uh, David Bowie was was actually was a, was a lot of fun. There was there was one time when um, I thought I was going to get into trouble. They they were shooting the big scene uh, where uh, she first meets uh, Jareth in in the bedroom when she's putting Toby to sleep, and she calls him in, and, and they have that big introduction. And there's all the goblins that are hiding in drawers and, and cupboards and all that kind of thing, and they kind of all spring out at, at one point. And I was doing one of those guys. Well. I don't know if you've heard the, uh, the. I think it was in the 1960s. He had a novelty song called "The Laughing Gnome." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If not, go check it out. And so <laughs> I gave that to the uh, sound guys to play on set uh, during the middle of their big scene, and then we were going to have the goblins all pop out and sing that. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was. They did it. They, they played it back. Uh, we all popped out and started miming to the song, and. Uh, you know, Jim was Jim was trying to direct this thing. I thought, oh boy, we're going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get fired. And how much money is this joke costing the production? And, you know, this is a big, a big introduction for the two of those characters together. So, but anyway, you know, Jim, of course, being Jim, chuckled, and and David had a good laugh, and, and uh, you know, he, he went along with it just fine. So he was a good guy. He really was. He he, he really was. And um, and of course his, uh, you know, the 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 wig that he wore. Um, uh, he, he used to call that his Tina Turner wig, uh, <laughs> because I guess that was you know hey, it was 1985 when we shot that. It's amazing though. I mean, he he worked so hard. You know, he was working on on the songs, uh, and he he was also doing Live Aid that same summer, the same wow. time we were, were filming Labyrinth, and he was shooting Absolute Beginners at night as well. Oh, at another God. studio. Damn. Uh, so he was doing all this stuff at the same time, and then as as the songs were being were coming out and the the scenes were being edited together, he was mixing, remixing the music to keep it current. You know, he'd wait until the last minute to to do final mixes uh, to keep up with because you know trends change musically every three to six months. So mm-hmm. so he waited till the last possible moment to do final mixes on the songs. So he was an amazing guy. He really was. And I worked with him on. Um, uh, the two music videos as well that was shot by uh, directed by Steve Barron, who was of course well known for doing the Money for Nothing music video and oh, yeah. and uh, the Storyteller and that kind of thing. So that was really nice as well. Yeah, he was a great guy. He really was just a just a great man and great creative and lovely to work with. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Really incredible. Um, yeah. You know, Mike, uh, you're one of those guys who, uh, who it, it seems like you followed your dreams and your, and your and your passion your whole life. Even and you know and to be working you know with Henson and and Frank Oz and all these guys at you know 17 years old and, and you know 18 years old completely 16. Yeah. 16. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, un, un, unreal. And and just yeah, really goes is. to show like following your following your heart and and going after what you want. If, if you could say a little something to any of our uh, you know listeners that you know are subscribers of just kind of how you feel mm. about uh, kind of going after your dreams. Yeah, I mean, I, I would 
there's a lot of people. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a, li- it's a little bit like um, Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy keeps getting put off by all these things as she's on going on her journey. Um, and there, there are always a lot of things to, to a lot of reasons to not do something. Uh, you know, self doubts, fears. Uh, oh, I, what will people say? Or I could never do that. Or I'm not very good at this. Or, or it's not possible. Or who do I think I am doing this? Uh, right. Or it's, I don't have the money. Or that's the other side of the world. Whatever. Mm. I mean, the, we we can often put our, a lot of barriers in our own way, or we'll let other people do that and and, and tell us, you know, you're crazy. You should get a regular job. Uh, uh, and that if that's you, then fine. Then <laughs> go ahead and do that. But but for me, I mean, a lot of people tell me I could never do what you you do. I have to have a steady job. Um, but for me, I couldn't get a regular job if I tried. So <laughs> all I know is, is this, this sort of the feast or famine, crazy roller coaster thing. And, you know, it's not all roses. It's quite hard sometimes, but I wouldn't change it for anything. So I would say, you know, find, find what your, your real, where your real heart is, where your passion is, um, what makes you happy. It doesn't have to be a career. It could be a hobby. It could be a, a side job. It could, you know, there's all different uh, levels in between. It could just be for fun. It could just be for yourself or for your kids or, or whatever. You don't have to make it into a full-time career. Um, and it doesn't certainly doesn't have to happen overnight. <coughs> Excuse me. It, 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 and usually it doesn't. You know, usually it's people are overnight successes over 10, 20 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. but, but, you know, if, if, if there's something that really makes you happy, then, then follow that. Follow that. Whether oh, I really wish I could paint watercolors. You know, whatever. Do it. Just learn that stuff. We have we have the 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 training out there now. It's so easy to get hold of, and the tools are there. The information's there. The knowledge is there. There there are usually people that are are, are willing to help us if we need uh, information. When I started out, there was nowhere to learn. I didn't know how to do puppetry. There was there was nowhere to go. Now there are schools you can go to to learn to do exactly this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't then, and it's the same for anything else now. Um, if you're if you're happy and well, if you're happy, you're going to live longer for one thing, most likely. And not only that, but you're going to make the people around you happier too. And you can, you will then inspire others. So, so be inspired, um, but also be the best you that you can be. You know, a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I wish I want to be just like George Lucas. I want to be just like Jim Henson or Walt Disney." It's like, and I keep telling them, "No, you do not. You need. To, we don't need any. We've already had those guys. We need you to be the best you you can be." Hell and yeah. find out who you are and what what you are, and follow that, and enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride. Um, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to the people around you. So uh, never be put off by other people telling you you can't do it or you shouldn't do it because that's ridiculous. You know, so I think we're all capable of so much more than we even realize. And I'll even say that about myself too. I have no idea what I'm capable of, but I think if I applied myself and obsessed enough about a certain thing, I could probably just completely shock myself with what I could do. So, and I think it's, it's true of all of us. Yeah. Um, we, we've just had that built into us or, or programmed into us that, you know, we can't and we shouldn't, and that's ridiculous. And who do you think you are? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. We are all, uh, amazing, amazing creatures. Uh, and we don't realize that. Well, Mike, you're the coolest. I, we Aww. are all very, uh, much looking forward to, <laughs> to seeing you in, in, uh, everything that you have coming up and in, in your Thank life. Thank you so is, much. Is yeah, there I a place, it. is there a place that people can follow you on the internet if they want to check you out? Check um, out let's see right now. Um, sort of the only, the only thing that I'm sort of updating on any regular basis is just my Mike Quinn, uh, Facebook page really. Um, 
but uh, but also if people are interested in in learning about puppetry or how to be a puppeteer or or anything like that, then they can head on over to secretsofpuppetry.com and I will be Ooh, launching nice. a um, they, they can sign up to to get on a noti- notification list uh, where I'll be la- launching the uh, what I as far as I understand is the world's first online um, uh, puppetry training academy. Uh, oh, cool. And wow. I'll be teaching things that were taught to me directly from Jim Henson and Frank Oz during things like the uh, Dark Crystal puppetry workshops. So oh there's God. a direct lineage of what I'm teaching that came from Jim and Frank and, and all those Muppet guys as well. Sign so they can get on, get on the, yeah, go over to secretsofpuppetry.com and get their name on, on the list. And then I'll, I'll, I'll shoot out emails when I have something uh, ready. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll have some free stuff up as well. And I'll have some super cheap things. And, and I'll probably have some high level thing that will have one on one training for the, for the ones that are really serious about it. But again, it's for hobbyists. It's for, for you know, people that maybe just want to do stuff at school or libraries or whatever, you know, or, or make their own show online or whatever. So, so that's another place they can go for later on. So. I love it. I love it. Mike Black, cool. our announcer. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at Mike Black Attack on all social media. And uh, Matt Walker, yes. love it. <laughs> Matt, where can people get you? Uh, you can look up everything you need to know about me at funnymat.com, or if you're annoyed by me, please let me know at mattwalkersucks.com. And really, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have a problem with Matt. Yeah, <laughs> you can always get me at Stephen Glickman, S T E P H E N Glickman on all social media. Uh, this has been absolutely incredible, Mike. Oh. Uh, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us hey, and chatting thank about you things. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for asking me to come along. It's been a lot of fun. You take care. You too. You, you too. Talk to you real soon. <laughs> Cheers. Oh.